From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition, last night, former President Donald Trump responded to his arraignment yesterday, which in part was for violations of the Espionage Act. Today we witness the most evil and heinous abuse of power in the history of our country. It's a political persecution like something straight out of a fascist or communist nation. This day will go down in infamy. This is clearly a first of its kind. The use of the Espionage Act steps over the Presidential Records Act of 1978, which is not a criminal statute. Now, prior to 1978, presidents kept all kinds of records. After that, uh, even Bill Clinton argued successfully, I should say, in court back in 2012 to keep uh, certain records from his presidency. So what's really going on here? We're going to talk with John Malcolm, former deputy assistant attorney general in the Department of Justice's criminal division in just a moment. And, And here's a refrain we are hearing more often at the federal level. What I stand for, uh, Anderson, is what conservatives have been arguing for for 50 years, which is that Roe was wrong. There's no federal constitutional right to an abortion and that the states should decide. And I absolutely believe that each state should make their decision on this. Now, I agree with most of that. That, by the way, was the former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie saying that now that Roe is gone, the issue of abortion is a state's issue. Well, yes, the states have a right to to deal with this, and they should. But there is a federal role. It remains an issue at every level. It's an issue for elected representatives of the people, not the courts to decide. That's what the overturn of Roe v. Wade is about. Now, thankfully, there are leaders in Washington, D.C. who understand this and are not hiding, like Mr. Christie and others, who understand that it is all of our responsibility to protect the lives of the unborn. Illinois Congresswoman Mary Miller is one of those leaders, and she joins me to discuss measures that she is advancing to protect unborn human life. That's coming up later here on Washington Watch. And yesterday, we, re- we, uh, we received an update from California on AB 957, the Transgender, Gender Diverse and Intersex Youth Empowerment Act that would amend California's family code to make it clear, and I'm quoting, that affirming a child's gender identity is part of the health, safety, and welfare of the child, end quote. This means... I'll interpret it for you. This means a child could be taken from their parent if the parent does not affirm a destructive notion that a child has about how God created them. Now, listen to what California State Senator Scott Wilkes had to say about this bill's passage out of committee yesterday. In the past, when we've had these discussions and I've seen parental rights atrophied, I've encouraged people to keep fighting. I've changed my mind on that. If you love your children, you need to flee California. You need to flee. This was a state senator in California telling the people California's crossed a line. And folks, they have, but they're not the only ones. And this should be a red line for every Bible-believing Christian. When they, when the government comes in and says they know better than you how to care for your children, and if you do not, you do not bow to the wishes of the left 
and their ideologically driven crusade, they'll take your children. That's a red line. We can't let them cross. We're going to talk about that later with Meg Kilgannon here on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 21. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. Well, Nehemiah had left Jerusalem, went back to the king in Babylon, and when he returned, he found that all of the reforms previously put in place were abandoned, including honoring the Sabbath. Foreign merchants showed up at the city gates to sell on the Sabbath. Well, we can tell here Nehemiah was a man of action. And while our actions in the New Testament are different than the in the, the Old Testament, our battles are against not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. But we still must act, and we must confront spiritual compromise, compromise that puts our freedom and our future at risk. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Yesterday's arraignment of former President Donald Trump marked the first time in our country's history that a former president was indicted on criminal charges. But Donald Trump is more than just a former president. He's a candidate for the Republican presidential nomination, now charged by the administration of the incumbent president. Does that sound odd? What legal and constitutional issues does this indictment raise? And what can we anticipate next? Joining me now to discuss this and more is John Malcolm former Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Department of Justice Criminal Division and a former Assistant U.S. Attorney in Atlanta. John, welcome back to the program. Great to see you. Great to be with you. So now that we have the indictment unsealed and the former president officially arraigned, what does everything up to this point indicate about Special Counsel's Jack Smith's uh, investigation? Well, a slight correction to your intro. This is the second indictment against former President Trump. The first, of course, coming from Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan district attorney. Uh, While he has to take those charges seriously because he's ultimately going to be tried before a New York City jury where he's not terribly popular, I think those charges are very weak. I think these uh, charges by special counsel Jack Smith are far more serious. So as you said, he's being charged with 31 counts of violating the Espionage Act for unlawfully retaining classified documents that pertain to national defense and national security. He's also charged with obstructing uh, a grand jury investigation by moving around with his co-defendant, Walt Nauta, those documents to keep them out of the hands of his attorneys who were examining the boxes in his possession to find documents that were responsive to the grand jury subpoena. And he's also charged with making false statements. Uh, There are a number of defenses that the former president is going to raise. The indictment contains statements by some of his attorneys. They're not identified by name, but pretty much people know who they are. Uh, So a judge at some point ruled that these people could be compelled to testify before a grand jury under the crime fraud exception to the attorney-client privilege. I'm sure now that the former president and his legal team will contest that designation, try to get that evidence suppressed. I'm sure that they will try to challenge the validity of the search warrant that was executed on Mar-a-Lago, and they will argue uh, that the Presidential Records Act uh, allowed him to keep these documents in his possession, and that as a result, the Espionage Act falls, of unlawful retention, that those uh, charges should fall as well. So uh, several things there. Let's start with Presidential 
Records Act of 1978. That's that's a civil provision. Uh, there there are no criminal penalties associated with that, are there? Well, it doesn't even have a civil provision. It sets out what is a presidential record and what is a personal record. And it talks about a procedure uh, for a president to designate what he believes to be personal records. It defines those terms. And then it says how the how the rest of the information is supposed to be turned over to the archivist, the National Archivist, and how a former president can get access to some of those uh, records. You know, usually, so this was enacted, as you said, in response to the Nixon tapes case up until the time of the Presidential Records Act, there had been essentially a a belief that presidents could keep everything that they had. uh, And President Nixon argued that the tapes were his. After that, uh, Congress passed the Presidential Records Act. It applied first to President Reagan, has applied ever since then. And you normally think about things like diaries and journals, things that were created by the president, not for uh, use in the conduct of government business, like political activities he may have been involved in to try to help candidates from his political party, not things generated by other agencies and not things used uh, for the conduct of the responsibilities that a president must exercise. Uh, But we will now see whether that uh, is accurate. We will test the boundaries of the Presidential Records Act. So uh, just to be clear on what you're saying, the, the Presidential Records Act was more designed for those personal things, uh, those things that were not generated by other government entities or agencies? Yeah, it's designed to define what is a personal record and what right. is a presidential record and to talk about how each category should be handled. So under the Espionage Act, isn't yeah. there a high level of uh, of uh, a burden of proof there for showing that there was willful intent on behalf of uh, the president? Yes, uh, you know there is. You, you, he could have been charged for gross negligence uh, in terms of the handling of classified information. But as everybody, all of your your listeners will remember, uh, Jim Comey came out and said that Hillary Clinton had been grossly negligent in the handling of classified information, but that no reasonable prosecutor would prosecute a case against her. That is why his indictment, Jack Smith's indictment, lays out the steps that the president took to try to move boxes around. It contains some language from apparently a videotape or audio tape interview in which he says, look, I have classified information here. I'm not supposed to be showing this to you, but I will. All of that is will, assuming the evidence exists, be offered uh, to prove that this was intentional conduct and not just grossly negligent conduct. When you say is, we're talking about criminal intent, what, so define criminal intent. Well, that he, he willfully retained information that was classified that dealt with national security uh, and, and national defense information, and that he willfully took steps with his co-defendant to prevent those documents that he knew he had in his possession from being returned either to the archivist or to the grand jury in response to a subpoena that he had received from that grand jury. Some suggest that the president's conversations with his attorneys, which uh, has been uh, that client um, uh, attorney privilege, obviously, as you made reference to, has been pierced here by the, by the courts. 
was suggested he was making reference back to the 2012 case involving Bill Clinton when Bill Clinton actually argued under the Presidential uh, Records Act that he had right to retain certain things and that he was asking questions about that as well as questions about Hillary Clinton and the failure to uh, for the state for the government to prosecute her. So, so are, are there weaknesses in this case that are being presented against the former president? Well, we'll have to see. Uh, I think that what is referenced in terms of the crime fraud exception is not talking about what happened to Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton, uh, but the suggestion in the indictment is that he was at least implicitly asking his lawyers to destroy records and also that he was asking them to sign a false certification that he no longer had classified documents in his possession. So they were being used as dupes. Uh, to commit a crime. Those are the allegations. That's right. not evidence. Right. Uh, but, but those are the allegations that I'm sure the judge relied upon in, in finding that the crime fraud exception applies. But, but the counter to that was that Hillary Clinton, her attorneys actually removed many emails, deleting many emails from her bathroom server. Yes. No, absolutely. Look, I, I think that Hillary Clinton should have been charged. The, the context for those discussions, though, were, at least according to the indictment, again, it's just an allegation, is, well, look what Hillary Clinton's lawyers did for yeah. her. Hey, hey John, John, we're, we're up against a break. Can you stick around for just a moment? Sure. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll finish this conversation on the other side of the break. John Malcolm, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Department of Justice Criminal Division, having a conversation about uh, yesterday's in, uh, arraignment. Uh, former President Trump. We'll continue the conversation on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be giving guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Washington Watch, good to have you with us on this uh, Wednesday. Continuing my conversation with John Malcolm, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Department of Justice's Criminal Division, and uh, now at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, John, thanks so much for uh, for sticking over through the break. I know you got to go here in just a moment, so I'm going to finish. Uh, I-, I cut you off there. You were talking about the uh, issues with Hillary Clinton that the Department of Justice failed to pursue. Go, go ahead and finish. Yeah. Well, there's no question that they failed to pr- pursue it, and her attorneys helped her uh, by destroying, by one, they went through the information on her server and turned over whatever they wanted to turn over. And then they and they destroyed her cell phones that contained text messages and bleach bit her server to wipe it clean. The FBI never went in to grab that server or grab those cell phones. The context in which this comes up in the indictment, though, and why it was included in the indictment, is that he is telling his attorneys, allegedly, Look at all of the things that Hillary Clinton's lawyers did for her. You should do the same things for me. The implicit suggestion is that they should destroy any records that they right. find that might get and, Donald and, Trump. And, and I can tell, and I appreciate this, John, because we want justice. We want what is right to be done, regardless of who it is. Justice is to be right. blind. I, I think the concern that many Americans have, not defending what we don't know, what Donald Trump may or may not have done, but it doesn't look necessarily good. Right. But is there a double standard in our Department of Justice? Well, the FBI and the Department of Justice have certainly led with their chin. Uh, and and many, many, many people believe that not only because of Hillary Clinton, uh, but how they're treating President Biden now with respect to allegations that he held classified documents, which we know who did, uh, allegations of bribery, how they conducted the uh, alleged Russian collusion investigation, Operation Crossfire Hurricane. John Durham just issued a scathing report uh, about that. So the FBI and the Department of Justice have a deep problem in that many, many people believe that they are not dispensing justice in a politically neutral fashion. And my take on this is that we are at a we're at a, a very critical moment in the history of our nation that if we lose as as a nation that is ruled by law, 
if we lose our appreciation for the law and for justice, we're like any other third world country. Yeah, we are. These are uncharted waters and they're very dangerous waters. And I'm afraid it's going to get better before it gets worse. Uh, well, uh, a lot, a lot to ponder. Uh, John, I want to thank you so much for uh, for joining us. I know I got to run, uh, but appreciate your uh, your insights today. Thanks for having me on. All right. Uh, John Malcolm, former deputy assistant attorney general in the Department of Justice's criminal division. And again, I want to be very, very clear. I don't know all the facts. I mean, I don't know what the president may or may not have done. Um, and, and we do need to advocate for justice, for truth. The lady justice is blind. doesn't matter who it is. And that's what we should strive for. And that's historically what our country has been about. And I'm not saying it's been perfect. But generally speaking, it, it, it has been better than most. And this is what really is troubling for many Americans, troubling for me, when I see what, uh, what Hillary Clinton was able to do and get away with, what I see right now, and, and uh, we're going to be talking about this in the days ahead, what uh, he made reference to with the, the Biden family and the, the bribes and the payments. And now we're, we're, we hear from uh, Senator Chuck Grassley that there are recordings uh, of conversations with then-Vice President Biden regarding these issues. But yet the, the FBI has been sitting on this, not, not only refusing to investigate and pursue it, but keeping it from Congress that has oversight of the Department of Justice. Here's, here is my, you want to know my recommendation, what we need to do going, going forward? First and foremost, we need to be praying. This is a critical moment. Our nation is divided, and this could split our nation irreparably. I mean, we, we may not be able to bring this country back together. The, the danger that we are facing right now, as John said, the uncharted waters. We need to be praying. We need to pray for truth to prevail, for those deeds of darkness that have been done by whomever. I don't care what uh, party label they wear. We need to pray that those things are revealed and that the truth would come forth and that justice would flow down like a river in this country once again. These are indeed dangerous times. And, and, And I just caution you, to to not get uh, not get wrapped up in you know the 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 anger and the angst of the moment. I, I'm angry. Yes, I, I am. I, I'm angry at what I see this administration doing to this country. And we're going to talk about this, this this whole agenda that they're pushing to our children, both here and what they're doing abroad. We talked about that yesterday with the whole LGBTQ. Um, foreign policy agenda that's being pushed by the Department of State. In fact, I spoke last night uh, in New Orleans at the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. We had a panel discussion, and and uh, Mike Pompeo was there, and we had a conversation discussing this on the side, but, but talked about the, the national security implications of what's being pushed by this administration through its foreign policy, promoting this uh, ideology that most nations um, find repulsive that we're pushing some of these nations that are dependent upon our foreign aid and we're tying 
you know, whether or not they'll change their definitions of human sexuality and marriage and abortion and in climate, the, the trifecta of the left, if they won't change their policies, we're withholding federal funds, uh, foreign funds. And so we're driving many of them into the arms of communist China because China is – they don't – I mean they're bad. Believe me, they're bad. But they don't push this agenda that is morally repulsive to so many nations that have a religious foundation. So I understand the anger and the angst, but first we need to pray. And I go back to what we say, pray, vote, and stand. We need to pray for our nation like we've never prayed before. We need to vote for men and women of deep moral conviction. Because when there, if, we, if we want righteous government, we have to have men and, and women who understand righteousness in those positions of government. And then you and I have a responsibility to stand for truth. We too need to advocate for what we know to be right, according to biblical truth, wherever the Lord has placed us. All right, coming up next, Congresswoman Mary Miller joins me to discuss her legislation promoting the sanctity of human life. There are many on the federal level that are not surrendering their responsibility to protect life. Don't go away. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. When the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last summer, actually one year ago, they created the opportunity for increased legislation to protect the sanctity of human life on both the federal and the state level. 
See, what had happened for nearly 50 years is the court had taken this out of the hands of elected officials. And so for years, for decades, elected officials ran, candidates ran on the issue of allowing elected representatives to deal with the issue of the sanctity of human life. And that's what the court decision did. It did not outlaw abortion. It simply said, this is no longer for the courts, it's for the people's elected representatives. Now, in the wake of this, we've had, as I uh, uh, played earlier in the program, Governor Chris Christie, former governor, uh, that this is an issue for the states. Oh, yes, the states have a role in this, but so does the federal government. So does Congress. And, And in fact, one such bill, the Parental Notification and Intervention Act, would require abortion industry organizations that accept federal funding to inform the parents of any minor seeking an abortion because what happens is they'll cross state lines to avoid provisions in one state. And this provides the opportunity for parents to intervene when we're talking about minor children. Join me now to discuss this is Congresswoman Mary Miller. She serves on the House Committee on Agriculture and the House Committee on Education and the Workforce. She represents the 15th Congressional District of Illinois. Congresswoman Miller, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me, and thank you for allowing us to have a voice to let people know what's going on here. So let's talk. Thank you. Well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this legislation and what it will do. Well, it's it's going to. allow parents to be notified. Um, The abortion provider is going to, if a minor uh, woman comes in seeking abortion, uh, the provider has to notify the parents and give them four days to intervene. And if they violate this, there's going to be a $100,000 fine and jail time. And basically what it is, is giving parents their rights and parents are here to protect their children like no one right. else. And that's, I think, what's happening in our country in light of the attack on parental rights would have been unimaginable a few years ago. But we need to fight back. You know, our good friend, uh, Pastor Erwin Lutzer from Chicago, uh, I quote him all the time. He said, evil will never retreat on its own, only when it's confronted by a more powerful force. And we just have to look for these opportunities to be a force against parental rights. Well, and and that's what the New Testament says about lawlessness. The spirit of lawlessness is already here, and it will become even greater as that which restrains it is removed. And that is the Holy Spirit, which finds its place in believers today. That's why we need to be out in positions to do that restraining. And that's why I appreciate you leading with this legislation. I'm going to go back uh, just for clarification. When you talk about the fines here, this is for the abortionist that would pursue and violate this law of not notifying parents. I just want to clarify that. So so we're talking about minor children. Parents want to know. I mean, Mm -hmm. vast majority of parents want to be there for this life-altering decision that a child Mm -hmm. might make. Yeah. Well, and I like that it's going to um, cause there to be a four-day waiting period because um, I do believe that if women were fully informed, if they were required to have an ultrasound, and if they had time to think it through and had wise counsel, I think a lot of women would change their minds. I think they're um, in a panic. They're driven by fear. They're getting bad counsel. It's a rash decision. And here we're going to slow it down. Hopefully the parents will um, get the 
daughter uh, medical intervention um, and wise counsel and share the truth with the daughter. Well, I, I go back, it's a well-used analogy, but you know, most schools in America, before they would give a, an aspirin or medication to a student, they're gonna have to get parental permission to do yes. so. So we're talking here about a life-altering and a life-destroying decision right. on behalf of these abortion clinics. I think it's a great piece of legislation. Which, I think it's, 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 it's very much needed. Yes. Well, thank you. I'm always going to stand up for parental rights. And I, do, I was listening to your segment before this about prayer, and I just want to encourage people that um, I got up early this morning and met with quite a few other Congress people to pray for our country. And one of the things that was said was, um, much prayer, much power. L- little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. So I appreciate that you're encouraging everybody to pray for our country. Well, and to pray for our members of Congress and other elected officials who are called by God to be in the roles that you're in and, mm-hmm. and trying to uphold righteousness and fight for those things which are true, those things which are right, parental rights. I mean, that's, that's fundamental. Mm-hmm. So very quickly, how can people help you on your piece of legislation? Well, I think they should notify their members who represents them and let them know that this is a piece of legislation that they would like to have supported. And, um, you know, the vast majority of Americans want parental rights defended. And that's basically what this is. We are talking about minor uh, daughters seeking abortions, that their parents will be notified and that there'll be four days for them to intervene. What's the, uh, the bill number? Uh, the bill number. Uh, well, we'll get it. We'll get it, and we'll get it posted on the website. Okay. So if you'll uh, okay. have your team Thank send you. that over to me, we'll make sure we get that posted. Mary, always great Thank to you. see you. Thanks again Thank for all you. you're doing on Capitol Hill. Thank you so much. All right. Mary Miller from Illinois. Those of you who have her as your congresswoman, you're blessed. She's a great lady. All right, coming up, we're going to look at those attacks that are coming on parental rights. This time out of California. We talked about it yesterday, but I'm going to give you an update on this measure that came out of the Senate committee there in California yesterday. This is astounding. That's next. Don't go away. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Wednesday. I want to invite our listeners, listeners on 89.7 on the CSN radio network in Des Moines, Iowa, to join me next Wednesday for a town hall meeting for life. I'll be moderating a discussion with South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, pro-life leader Marjorie Dannenfelser, and Bob Vanderplatz of the family leader in Iowa. The, the town hall will be at Experience Church there in Des Moines at 7 p.m. Now, obviously not everyone can get to Des Moines, but you can join us online, actually. We're going to be uh, live streaming this town hall meeting. You can go to TonyPerkins.com to find out more. Uh, that will be next Wednesday. So mark your calendar next Wednesday, 7 p.m. We'll be in Des Moines for a Stand for Life town hall meeting. All right, today is Flag Day. Now, I said, uh, actually, I said on Monday that it was this past Sunday, but I was mistaken. I guess I was a bit too eager to celebrate the American flag, but not as eager as the White House to celebrate the ever-changing flag of spiritual rebellion that they hoisted at the White House over the weekend. The American flag that we celebrate today unifies. It unifies Americans. Where the pride flag divides, and it celebrates destruction. Now, you you may have seen this or heard about it, but at the largest ever pride celebration at the White House this weekend, a man who now claims to be a woman and apparently went to great expense to create breasts to show that he showed them off. Maybe they were paid for at tax dollars, I don't know, but he wanted to show the world on the White House lawn. Now, next to him was a woman who now claims to be a man who removed her shirt, exposing what had been removed. Now, what came to mind is I saw these pictures, which were blurred out, 
was, you know, this would have been an illustration for an illustrated Bible depicting Sodom and Gomorrah. That's probably what it would have looked like. Now, some of you may take that as being harsh, and it may be, but it's reality. Now, yesterday we covered a measure, and this is the White House, the, the, the White House, the lawn of the White House. I mean, it's pretty astounding. Well, yesterday we covered a measure in California, Assembly Bill 957, known as the Transgender, Gender Diverse, and Intersex Youth Empowerment Act that would amend California's family code to make it clear that affirming a child's gender identity is part of the health, safety, and welfare of the child, which means a child could be taken from their parent if that parent does not affirm a destructive notion that has been placed in the child's head by the media or by their school's indoctrination. If somehow this destructive notion is in their head, it cannot be countered with the fact that God created them special just as they are. If a parent does not affirm it, that child could be taken away. Folks, I I, I cannot be more clear about this. This is a red line for me. And it should be for every Bible-believing, God-fearing Christian in America. You cannot be a spectator and watch this and say you love the Lord and his word. Now, yesterday, the former Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, was asked about these moral cultural issues on CBS. And this is what he had to say. Clip five, please. I'm not a culture war guy. Uh, I think it's really polarizing. Look, I, on some of these issues, I'll side, uh, you know, with the anti-woke crowd. But to me, I'm worried about a debt crisis. I'm worried about, you know, the future of our country and, and China. There are big policy problems that we need to tackle if we want to have a great 21st century for this country. Excuse me? You're not a cultural war guy? Um, well, you know what? He's actually speaking truth because when he was House Speaker, he did nothing to advance the cause of life or the family. And with his focus on economic issues in the 21st century and beyond, let me just tell you, um, there is no future without a moral foundation. That's the reality. America doesn't have a material problem. It has a moral and a spiritual problem. I mean, you can see that. Our economic problems are getting worse. Why? I would argue because of our moral and spiritual foundation has eroded. And our economy has nothing to stand on. Lawlessness runs rampant in our streets. Well, California is not alone in attacking parents' rights and families. This week, the governors of Maryland and New York City issued executive orders declaring their state sanctuary for gender mutilation of minors. The American Medical Association's They strengthen support for gender mutilation. And this, of course, is while uh, countries in Europe are dialing back this stuff because they realize how destructive it is. But America's left is marching on. Nevada put a new law into place this week that requires health insurance companies to pay for gender mutilation. Illinois, a new law favoring sexually explicit materials in schools. So this is not isolated. What is happening in California is not isolated. This is coming. If it's not already there, it's coming to your community. It's coming to your children. It's coming for your children. Joining me now to discuss this is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. She sure served 
in the Department of Education during the Trump administration. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. So let's start by discussing California's AB 957 that came out of committee yesterday. Let's talk about what it would do and its ramifications. Yeah, you know, it's a terrible bill. It would allow for the state to take away the children of parents who do not affirm a child's sexual identity as the child declares it. So essentially, it completely reverses the role of the parent and the child, and it supplants the parental role with the state. And when I hear comments like that from from former Congressman Paul Ryan, it's just, it's so tiring to hear politicians talk this way that implies that somehow if I'm objecting to that kind of of measure in this quote-unquote culture war, that I'm, you know, hateful or I'm the one who's the problem. I'm I'm not, you know, affirming people or loving people or what have you. And it it's just it's exactly the kind of, of, of thing that has caused parents to literally, you know, battle the man the battle post right. in the in the culture war, go into school board meetings and speak out against this kind of, of ridiculousness. Right. No, not, not to mention, dangerous. not to mention that his comments like that suggest that these are not important issues. More important is what our interest rates are and what the inflation rate might be. I mean, I, I don't think any of us really care about what the interest rate is. Not when your children, children not when your not when your children have been taken from you and enticed across a state border and, and mutilated through surgeries that are being done. And that's what California is advocating. That's now what New York is advocating. That's now what Maryland. And we've actually talked about this, what's happened in Maryland, where we've had children taken away from parents, put in places where they've been sexually abused by the very ones who are supposed to be protecting them under the guidance of the state. Right. And this this is the thing that, that when I look at these news articles about this, and you can see a map that's presented by a newspaper that has all of the states that are protecting children from being prescribed puberty blockers or gender-affirming surgeries because they are untested. And you see those states in red, like, like those states are the dangerous ones. And the states like California and Washington State and Oregon, where they will take your children from you, for not going along with this, or states like like um, Vermont, where you just have that case of the dad and the daughter who the daughter didn't want to have a boy in the locker room with her changing, and the dad who was the soccer coach lost his job because he defended his daughter. You know, those states are in gray, as if there's nothing going on there. There's no problem there. Those are the everybody should not be worried about what's happening in those states. It's now, the states that are in red or yellow that are the problem. Right. It's just completely backward. And now, that is the kind of, of noise and, and aggravation that parents have to deal with as we're just simply trying to maintain our parental rights and protect our children and other people's children, too. I, I don't think that I need to make this point, but because it's become so pervasive that, I mean, everybody sees it. But I still think there are some that think, well, you know, it's not going to happen to my kids. You know, uh, you know, we, we, we go to church. Um, 
you know, and, and, and their, their kids may actually be in a good school, might even be in a private school, a religious school. And they say, well, this isn't going to happen to my kids. But when we're talking about what's hap- coming out of California, where the state would say, if you don't affirm this notion. In fact, I was just talking to a friend this morning who's, who's homeschooled his kids most of their lives. Um, but they went to a, a public school for, for a couple of years and, and these notions got in their head. And one of the kids thought they were transgender. And, and under this setting, and of course, he's been able to you know, minister and bring that child back. But under this, if you don't affirm this minor child that has this notion in their head, your child could be taken away. Right. And it's, it's um, you know, there was just this article in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week or late last week that talked about how Instagram was just a hotbed of child pornography and that there were hashtags. And once you access this material on on Instagram, whether it was on purpose or not on purpose, then your algorithm was altered and this material would be fed to you. Right. And so it doesn't even take a brief experience in a public school for children to be uh, um, enticed away by this or for anybody to be enticed away by this. And when you see that that article in the Wall Street Journal, it was a a joint study with Stanford University. All of the right people, all of the smartest people have identified this as a legitimate problem. And you hear crickets from anybody about it. You see that we live in a culture that tacitly accepts the premise. And that is the only way that the state can then come in and take do something as outrageous as as say that they should take children away from parents. So we really need to understand what we're up against. There's a billion dollar porn industry that is out there trying to get access to our children. You have a governor in Illinois, like Governor Pritzker, who just this week signed a piece of legislation that will cut the funding of libraries who don't allow pornography in the library system for children explicitly for children, <laughs> you know, it's like clown world some days. It, it, it beggars belief. Well, but it, here we find ourselves. This is this where situation. this is where you and I agree with President Biden. There is a battle for the soul of this nation. And, and I use it because it's really a battle for the soul of our children. And we need to realize that this is this has eternal significance and consequences. And, and this is where parents need to wake up and, and realize that this this is an unparalleled. We, we talked about unprecedented in terms of the charges against uh, Donald Trump at the beginning of the program. Never happened before. We live in a time that is unprecedented. We've never seen this type of a cha- attack on children, on the rights of parents to protect the children as God has instructed them to do, to teach them, to train them, uh, to nurture them. All of that is under attack, and we cannot be passive. This is not a time to be a spectator. We have to be a participant in exercising our roles and defending those roles. Absolutely. I mean, it it feels like, you know, the the battle was, you know, you will bake the cake, right? That was the initial start after Obergefell. You will bake the cake. You will acknowledge and affirm that we are legally married. And even as a Christian, you will bake our cake. And now the message seems to be, 
you will see the nudity at the White House and you will have your children look at the porn in the libraries. You will affirm this lifestyle. You will affirm this identity. And as Christians, we simply, we, we can't out of love and concern for people. Three things. We can't. Three things we must do, Meg. What are they before we run out of time? Pray, vote, and stand. Unpack that. You got a little more time than that. Unpack that for us. What's that look like? What's that look like for a mom? Well, I mean, are we ever really off our knees as mothers? I think we're just constantly in prayer for our children every minute of every day, right? And elections have consequences, and we're seeing that. And you can have a, a blue state governor who's got a wide, a huge margin of victory, like in California or Illinois, and they can do crazy things. But you can also have a president like Joe Biden, who's elected by a very narrow margin, who's doing even crazier things on a national level. So elections really do have consequences. And in the end, when when we don't maybe win at the voting booth, we do have to stand in our communities and be an example of Christ's love and of truth and, and humility, uh, um, you know, there but for the grace of god go i this can happen to anybody's family this 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 thing can ensnare anyone's child and we we really have to be uh vigilant and and be the most important relationship your child has it needs to be with you and with god absolutely and and my heart breaks for those parents who have seen their children targeted and, and literally stolen from them as their innocence was stolen. Meg Kilgannon, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Always appreciate talking to you. Thanks. It's great to be here. Folks, there there it is. Pray, vote, and stand. We, we, we need to pray like we've never prayed before for our country, for our children, for our families. Reminds me of Nehemiah that we've been in. We need to fight for our families, our sons, our daughters, our wives, our houses. We need to fight. We need to vote. We need to stand for truth no matter what. All right, thanks for being with me. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging and challenging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 